All right, PJ, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast. I appreciate you having me on. So tell everybody a little bit about you and uh, what you do. I'm like that really annoying guy that appears on your YouTube or your Instagram or your Facebook telling you that you need to be investing in cars, watches, and people call me crazy because they're like, hey, this, this guy's telling me to buy these things that I've been thought my whole life are a liability and they're going to lose money and I'm going to basically be bankrupt for it. And that's basically what I've done for the last 20 years, right? I started in, in finance and banking at a very young age. Uh, and I basically learned the inside outs of how banks uh, make a ton of money and rob people, basically, like inside out legally. You know, they're not robbing people illegally, but they figured out a way to basically tap into the psychology of human consumerism and, and get them to really basically be bound to the matrix. And so for since I kind of left my career in banking, I started an investment firm that focused back in 2005 in exotic cars, watches, arts, and real estate. And I did really, really well there uh, and kind of decided to, I saw the writing on the wall that this was going to be a massive, massive operation. And it was very uh, headache driven, you know, very large numbers, very small margins. So very, very dangerous from a business standpoint. And so I decided to kind of take this approach of doing it for people and basically teaching online. So since 2008, I've been teaching everything from business to cars to watches as investments uh, all over the internet. I first started with a platform that people may have heard of called Secret Entourage back in 2008 when podcasts were non-existent. Uh, we've kind of brought that genre to the world. And as a result of that, I wrote multiple books on business, entrepreneurship, and consciousness. My most famous one is Third Circle Theory, followed by Radius and Gated Choice. And then kind of decided to use that knowledge of uh, basically being an online entrepreneur in the sense of creating courses online to take my personal knowledge of investing in cars and watches and creating two well-known platforms to date that have been around almost a decade now called Exotic Car Hacks and Watch Trading Academy. And the biggest difference between, I guess, me and people that sell online courses is that one, I only sell courses on things I have real expertise and track record in. Even though I've made millions in real estate, I don't believe I'm a real estate expert by any means, nor do I believe I have the answer to your real estate needs. So I tend not to teach that. Uh, I focus primarily on the things that I do on a day-to-day -day basis, which have become uh, in one way, just a big mixture of investments in cars, watches, uh, and basic arts. Very cool. So I want to kind of circle back on what you said where um, everybody's told like cars are terrible investments, which I think in the traditional buying process, obviously it is right. If you go out and you lease or you go buy a brand new BMW, obviously not a great investment. So tell me a little bit about exotic car hacks and how you turn those bad decisions into good decisions. So historically, historically, cars are not investments. They are liabilities. They, you, you use them. And for the most part, they are used for a need, a need for transportation. And even if you add a luxury component like, oh, you have this better, you know, uh, Bluetooth, whatever interface, and you have this better leather and this, it's still a means to transportation with a sense of comfort, right? Just saying that a train that has better leather seats does not make it any different than the other trains, you know? <laughs> so cars are historically uh, not investments, and they are liabilities that depreciate you basically on a five to seven year scale. Now, those cars are made to meet the needs of people for transportation. Exotic and specific luxury cars, not all luxury cars. And, and when we talk about luxury cars, we talk about specialty cars like, uh, like M Power cars uh, or AMGs, not just an S Class, which would be a luxury car to most people, but an S Class AMG race car, basically. 
Right. These specialty cars and exotic cars like Lamborghini, Aston Martin, Ferrari, et cetera, are cars that are built out of wants, not needs. People don't buy those cars because they need an Aston Martin to go to work. They basically buy it because they want an Aston Martin and it means something to them. The metrics of how these cars depreciate is based on the supply and demand uh, of that model. That is very different from a mass-produced Lexus, which they make 60,000 units because they have 60,000 customers. Uh, and they believe that some of them they can lease if they can't sell them. So they, they kind of have a business model versus the other one is the idea of the exclusivity means it's a scarce model. Whenever a car falls into a scarce model, it has an, an opportunity to appreciate more uh, than its new counterpart. So in other words, we all want the new Ferrari. There's five of them. There's 20 of us with a million dollars. Well, five of us will fight you know, like for what we're willing to pay over that million uh, to get the car. Now, someone who has the in who has gotten that car based on the relationship may say, I will let it go for 300K. That's enough for me to, to be happy to, to not have this car. So so it becomes basically like a, like a supply and demand thing. It's no different than any other investment where if there's a lot of demand because the product is very good, uh, and the supply is limited, like it always is on certain cars, not even not all Ferraris, just to be clear, are also fall into that category, probably about 10% of the entire car universe will fall into this category. But those specific cars can make very exciting investments uh, that can make significant amounts of money. Like I, I've bought cars where within six months, I've made five, $600,000 from one car and the car's cost was $500,000. Like, so basically I've doubled my money just owning a car for six months, you know? And I've had other cars that I've driven for an entire year enjoyed and put mileage on and took my wife around or whatever. And I've lost $3,000 for the year. And I drove a $500,000 car, you know, that most people would say, well, you need this large credit and crazy amount of money to buy. And you're going to lose $100,000, which isn't true. I think through the years, the auto industry has brainwashed people so much uh, into buying into this ideology that leasing is a financial way to offset the burden of the loss and liability of a car that people have stopped looking into what really is a lease financially and, and what does it mean for me, but rather we've been trained as a society to think what payment can I afford? And based on that payment, I feel comfortable, therefore, buying this car versus that one. We don't really look at the overall picture or understand money. And this is what I meant earlier when I talked about banks have been really good at legally screwing people is that they figured out the algorithm to the mind that enables 90% of the population, the guys that aren't the outliers, not the entrepreneurs, not the like guys that are trying to hack their way into life, but the guys that follow the status quo all the time and trying to follow true. And they've basically given them every reason to buy into these financial tools they've created that benefit banks and, and larger auto industry manufacturers, but does not really benefit the consumer. But it has a perceived notion of affordability and benefits. So the person just, it really taps into what I call the instant gratification monkey of that we have within all of ourselves, you know, that we all want something today and we don't want to work for it, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody has that. Um, now, in terms of your favorite exotic car hacks that you've done, what are your favorite like top three car hacks that you've done? So from a car standpoint or from a money standpoint? Uh, either or. I. What are the coolest car hacks you've done? So I'll tell you the three, I think, best cars on the market today that really are quality products, not necessarily bound by the dollar that they bring. You know, so it's not the most expensive, but the coolest sure. and best cars. 
I think the old Ford GT 2005, 2006 was once a 120K car. Today, it's a 500K car. Uh, so it started at 120, now it's 500. I bought one two years ago for 200. Uh, I just sold it last month for 400. So, you know, like double your money, drove it for two years. Good time, you know, like cool car, but a really, really good car. Ford did a really good job with that. Surprising, most people would not think Ford is an exotic car company, but once in a while, they pull out a hypercar that does really, really well. That was one of my favorite cars that I've, I've owned and driven and also both on the hack and driving standpoint. I think another car that's spectacular as a car is the Rolls-Royce Dawn, uh, the convertible variant that they've discontinued now that is going to be replaced in the next couple of years. Uh, that's a spectacular car. It's just one of those cars that creates a feeling like, it's funny, it's one of those feelings where you get in it and you drive it and you're like, I don't know why I feel like I'm better than everyone else outside of this car. <laughs> and then when you like, you look around and you're like, I don't know, I feel guilty for feeling this way, but I really feel special. <laughs> Hello, peasants. Yeah, no, it's really what it is. And it's like this thing where it's like, you put your foot on the, on the carpet, the carpet's like $5,000 and it's made out of like, uh, like lamb wool skin, whatever. And it's like super soft. And you have these little features about it that just remind you that, life is more fun on the richer side of things than, you know, on the struggling side of things. And it, it's one of these cars that just does that really well. And then the, the last car I'd mentioned that I think is a fantastic vehicle altogether is the Lamborghini SVJ. You see, like the Aventador was always the car that had the doors go up, stunt, we called it the stunt factor car, but it was always a terrible driver. Like it was just really awful to drive. It was heavy. It was just awkwardly large and it just didn't work, but it was really good looking. So it was always like, hey, this is a great looking car, basically completely useless, but really good looking. And it's overly loud and annoying. But with the SVJ, they basically took everything that made a sports car exciting and they brought it to a really large, beautiful body. That was also one of the prettiest cars I think designed in the last 20 years. But, and I think they did that really, really well. They created a product that works. Um, and, and I'm very unbiased towards cars. Like I don't really care. Like if I own a car or not, I've called my own cars pieces of shit, you know, like yeah. just because they're terrible. Yeah. Uh, they are, car, a car is a car for what it is. You know, what is it intended to do? Is it good for what it does and so on? And I think those three cars are really top cars uh, all around. And all of them, because of the, again, the excitement of the car uh, have gone up significantly. Like my SVG, I paid 600 for it. It's worth a million dollars. It's like 400K up in, yeah. in a year and a half. I mean, most people don't make 400K working in a year. Yeah. Imagine if you drove a Lamborghini for a 400K. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that comes down to thinking bigger. Most people would never even think on that level. And I didn't until I came across your content. So like you were saying, I, I saw this motherfucker every day talking about exotic cars and watches. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, who is this guy? So I think I ended up adding you on Facebook or something. And uh, over time, realize like, no, this guy isn't that annoying, like asshole that he comes off to be right. Like you were super, super knowledgeable, a great guy. And, uh, I really respect the content. So when it comes down to thinking bigger, what challenges most people, what are the challenges that most people have that you see where they keep thinking on a small level? They don't understand money. This is one of the key criterias. Like people think I'm a car guy and a watch guy. I'm really not. I'm a money guy and a business guy. I've been a business guy and a money guy for like 20 plus years. Uh, I, I think very systematically. And, and I think the biggest issue for people is they just don't understand money. Like most people would see a watch or a car. They wouldn't know they're the same price. They wouldn't know this is a $100,000 watch. They, they just wouldn't understand. When you don't understand money, you, you tend to not make it your friend because you don't understand how it's being traded. 
you don't understand what's happening in the world with it. You just understand your view of it, which is very narrow-minded. And as a result, you start thinking very small based on your own perspective. If you start to understand that people are wearing $300,000 watches, like I have watches in my collection that are $500,000 for one watch. This is yeah. not like a collection. This is one watch, right? And most people are like, why would you ever pay $500,000 for a watch when you can have a car for like, well, I have the cars too, but... The point is, why not another car? Why, why watch? It doesn't make sense. It's stupid. It's stupid because you're not in it. It's stupid because you don't understand that that watch will bring me $100,000 in ROI. Literally could be tax-free. There's so much you don't understand about money. And as a, instead of being curious about it, trying to understand and make sense of it, you mix money with your emotional value system which means that like you basically say in my values, it doesn't make sense to spend $100,000 on a car or $5 million on a boat. Like these things are vanities and they're stupid and you should. So, so you use today's value system to basically block yourself and think small because the value system you're not having today that you're going to have to develop to make a ton of money and to grow yourself to the next, next person requires your curiosity today to get to the next level, to understand. Like you have to have perspective. Like you feel like I have a probably about $17 million car collection today, you know? So I, I the average person would say, well, that's crazy. Well, I say, I'm still poor. Like one of my license plates on my Lamborghini says I'm too poor. And people say, well, I don't understand. That's such an arrogant thing to say. I'm like, no, I literally go on a yacht with my buddy. We see another $300 million yacht and we go, wow, all of our fortune together could operate that thing for three weeks. And I'm like, that's how poor we are. Like, like we're all really well off. Like we do whatever we want. We have boats, we have cars, we have planes, whatever. It doesn't change the fact that we still don't have the reach that the other person does. And so you have to start thinking into the mentality of the person you want to become to start understanding that life isn't limited by the transactions you do which means that just because you're doing $1,000 transactions or $5,000 transactions on a daily basis, that's a lot of money. Well, no, it's not. You have to be willing to see that, that that's such little money so that you open your mind to what does it mean to do real transactions? Because the only way you get rich in this country is to understand how to transact in more zeros. Like if you transact on a million dollar level, you're going to be a six-figure guy. If you transact on a $10 million level, you're going to be a seven-figure guy. If you transact on a 10-figure level, you're going to be an eight, nine-figure guy. That's your margin, right? Like that's what you're going to make. So, you know, you can make a billion-dollar company. You're going to have probably like $100 million to your name, you know, eventually. So the, the point is that you're not the byproduct of the transaction, but you're the fraction of these transactions. So if you don't think bigger, you're, you're never going to become, right? Like if you're like, oh, well, $5,000 is a lot of money. That means you're basically always going to be a $100 guy, you know? And that's basically a hundred bucks is going to be a lot of money to spend. And you're not going to think outside of that view, you know? Yeah, that's excellent. That's a really good way to put it too. Now, would you say that doing a larger deal when you're doing these hacks, like whether it's a $300,000 watch or the Bugatti, right? Would you say that, that, like, what's the difficulty when you get to that level compared to the smaller ones? Right. So, so it's not a difficulty level that changes. It's a liquidity <clears throat> factor level. So it's actually easier. It's you, I'm sure you've seen that meme on Instagram that runs around. That's like a guy wants a $50,000 contract, wire sent, but $500, you know, transactions. Yeah. Like I have five fifty questions, right? Yeah. It's kind of that mentality. If someone wants your Bugatti, like if someone wanted to buy my car, I, I'm not selling my car, but let's say they wanted it and they were like, hey, I want it bad enough. 
they would literally contact me and be like, listen, what's the number? I'd be like, look, $4 million, I'll let, I'll let it go. They'd be like, okay, here's a 100K deposit. Let's work out the details and inspection, whatever. Okay, yeah. we're done. Like, this is a conversation. Like, that's how my car will sell eventually when I'm ready to get rid of it. Yep. It doesn't, if I have the right car, I paid the right money, I'll get more money. If I didn't pay the right money, I'll just let it go. The difference though, is there's a much smaller pool of people that play in those levels. Obviously, when you're walking around the street, you don't have a lot of people wearing 500K watches. You know, you don't have a ton of people wearing driving $3 million cars. There's a total of 500 Bugatti Chiron's ever made, you know, over like a, a span of like five years, you know, globally. So, so that's a long, that's a very few amount of cars, you know, around. Like you have to find 500 people that can afford these cars within an entire globe, right? Not even in your city. Like, but I can promise you, you can find 500 people that can afford a Rolex in your city. In yeah. your town, maybe even in your building, you know, like so at each stage of the game, the, the numbers get smaller. So the liquidity goes away and you have to have the financial acumen to be able to hold assets longer. Basically, if I'm in, if you're ever in a rush to sell a luxury good, you're going to lose. And a lot of dealers bank on that every single day. They go because you're lazy. And you're going to want to trade in your car and not deal with selling it and waiting and, and you're impatient. I'm going to hit you 20% lower so I can make 20% on your car. Yeah. And, and instead of telling yourself, well, why am I in a hurry? Do I have another car there? You know, why can't I just wait like a month and a half, try to sell my car? Well, because it's easier to just go in, you know, and they, they make it basically, they go, well, you don't have to do anything. Just go here, click here, and we'll just buy, you know, and we'll just pay you right out or trade you even easier. You know, just pick up your new lease and turn in your old one. The, the convenience has triggered the laziness and the laziness has blurred the lines of finance where basically the cost is no relevant as long as the monthly is. So, right. so when you deal with the entry level of money, you think as the percentage of how money impacts you, like I said earlier, but as you start to look at money on a broader, wider, larger scale, like you grow real wealth, you start to look at numbers for what they are. I'm paying X, I'm getting Y. Not I'm paying X and what is it costing me a month? Can I afford it? You know, but rather, can I afford to buy a $3 million car? Yes, I can, as long as I think I can sell it for 3.5 down the road. So I don't need 3 million right now. Like, can I afford to put the 3 million and park it? So you think more strategically rather than what does that mean a month? That means like 80,000 a month for a car. That's probably a bad bet. You know, like, like, I don't know, I'm making 2 million a month. I'm spending 500K, you know, is it good? This is how basically society and, and forgive me for saying that, but poor people have been trained to stay poor. It's basically in a survival instinct of if you make X, you should spend Y. And if you actually look historically at all of these charts and places where like the, the imbeciles like Suze Orman in the world that tell you like what you should or shouldn't afford, it's based on financial principles that are like 20 years old. Right. You know, like back when industrialism was around and, and a car payment made sense. And, and it may have been because there were no such things appreciating cars back in the day. Right. They were not collectibles. So when you're looking at doing hacks, um, are you looking mostly at just supply and demand, right? Like if there's limited amounts of these, then obviously over time, somebody else is going to buy for it. But what else are you looking at when you're doing a hack? 
So it's not just as simple. If it was that simple, then I wouldn't need to actually teach people what to do. They would just say, right. oh, this is rare. There's only 10. I'll buy this, you know? Yeah. Uh, 10 of something no one wants still means there's 10 times too much of it. <laughs> <laughs> right? You're like, yeah, I have a great office building. It's yeah. pink. Nobody wants it. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's Chrysler three of Crossfire. them. You know, everybody should want this office building, but it's pink. Nah, you know, like we just don't want it. Then you're like, you have three times too many office buildings, right? Yeah. So it's really the same thing. Like, it's not just about having very little of something or being limited. That's actually another trick that manufacturers use. A lot of watch manufacturers use this ideology that's like, listen, we've made 10 of these. We made a one-on-one of this. We made three of that. But if the product is flawed, meaning if the product is really not special, it's just a special edition, it's a special edition of nothing. And this is where I, I'm saying they've gotten really good at consumerism. Think about this. Like you have a really nice Subaru. Like you bought a Subaru, you like it. Now they made a really special rare version, but it's still a Subaru, right? It, it, it does not make it rare. It just makes it rare for an audience that one doesn't understand rarity. Secondly, doesn't really matter because it isn't collectible on any means. You know, it's only collectible to that audience as long as they have money. So, so the long-term value of the asset is zero. It's just converted to its propaganda for the moment. Is it hot because the commercials are saying it's hot? How much did they pay Motor Trend to say that the car was exciting so that people want it? Will yeah. they keep paying Motor Trend five years after they're done selling them? Of course not. So they're going to be worth nothing. So, But again, these things are how this machine has been created to blur your eyes to like basically how you make purchasing decisions that are not based in finance. They're based in emotion. Oh, my God, I can't afford a Mercedes, but I can afford a brand new special edition Super. Plus, it's special. It makes me feel special, which is stupid. At the end of the day, still a Super. We're still getting parked in the back. Nobody cares if you show up with a Super. You know, but th that's the reality of it. You know, but, yeah. but the emotion inside, someone gets angry and goes, "Well, it's special to me." Well, okay, fine, but still not fucking special. It doesn't matter, if it's special or not. So right. I think it comes down to two key criteria: the long-term collectability the historical data of the brand itself publishing it, like, you know, does it matter or not? It does because there is data showing that there's historical value in the brand. Uh, that matters. And then the, the quality of the product. So meaning like how well received is it? Meaning like, is it is it really iconic, innovative? Will it go down in history as special? Or will it just be like, meh, it was just something with special paint. You know, it wasn't really like that exciting. Uh, the brand never really had longevity. So, you know, like it just didn't make it. Like we know historically that no matter how special Mustangs are, they're, they're just not going to bring good value for 20 years until they become antiques. Right. But there are people who would like <laughs> us to believe that certain Mustangs will bring money in two years. And the argument is they can bring short-term money because they're harder to get because of COVID or they're harder to get because uh, everyone's buying them because they're the hot thing on the street. But that's going to die down. And right. then numbers matter. How many did they make? Oh, they made 17,000. Okay, well, you don't think they're going to make 10,000 of the newer Mustang that's nicer, cleaner, faster, better, you know? So you have all of these things. And then you have to take a look at, is there something unique that ends a generation? Is it the final engine car? Is it the final six-speed transmission car? Is it, you know, they, there's all these components that go into it. And then once you, dis, once you find the exact cars that work, like basically these are the right investments, then you could drive them technically 10 years and never lose a dollar. So why lease them for three and lose, you know, 40% of the value. And yeah. also consider that at Exotic Car Hacks, we break down for people all of this study so they don't have to, like they don't have to sit there and be like, 
should I buy a Mustang or should I buy this Mercedes? You know, which one is a better bet? We break that down for them so that they understand without having to sit there and try to figure out like, oh, how much production Mustang was there versus Mercedes? Yeah. And I just signed up for an ex for exotic car hacks. Now I want to talk about exotic car hacks and your Black Friday special that you guys are running. I know that you guys do that every year and it's your biggest special that you guys run. Um, if anybody's listening to this and you have a fascination for watches or cars, I personally think that you should, and P PJ isn't paying me anything to say this. We have not talked about this. I personally think that you should go and buy exotic car hacks because it's a couple hundred bucks. But when you look at the amount of money that you're going to spend on a vehicle or on a watch, um, you're going to make this money back tenfold. But PJ, tell me a little bit about exotic car hacks and what people get when they go into the program. So we built exotic car hacks as a community, not just as a program. So it has a course factor where we teach you the ins and outs of what we're talking about here on the show today. But we also give you access to our community, which currently has like almost, I think, 18,000 people in it which is quite large. And, you know, it's been around for a while. So we have a lot of street cred for having helped so many people. But there's two key things that happen. The first thing is that rewire your brain in 30 days. The second thing is if you truly are ready to get in an exotic, and once you get to the training, you understand what it takes and what you need to do, which is really not that much. Many cars can be bought with zero down, 300 a month. Others can be bought, uh, even if you're in that mentality where the monthly matters, you know, that's fine. There's still components to still playing the right direction of the monthly not the wrong one. And I mean, it's really simple. We break down for you everything you need to. So in 90 days from joining, you're in a capacity to make a decision on which luxury or exotic car you're going to start your journey with. And it's important to understand that you don't start at the Bugatti level, right? Like you can't say, well, I've never owned an exotic. The first thing I want to buy is buy a $3 million car. You don't need to do that. I had a kid that started at 18. He started with a Lamborghini Gallardo. Three years later, he's in an SVJ. Okay, nice. most adults will never drive an SVJ. You know, like, the, again, this they'll never have the financing or the money to be able to afford an SVJ. He made $200,000 on all his cars and then put himself in a position to make another $200,000 on the SVJ because he jumped in on time. That was a three-year journey for him, but he had his first exotic. He went from a Kia, uh, no, actually, forgive me, went from a Hyundai Genesis to uh, like a Lamborghini Gallardo in like 60 days. So, you know, it's just shifting your mindset and understanding money differently. It's sometimes hard to get through the whole marketing component that I have, which is get a free car and this. And people are like, oh, this arrogant prick is telling me to get a car. And he thinks I don't yeah. understand money. But really, there's a lot there that that's really special and helps people understand this entire industry. Yeah. And, and I really like that you're not just a car guy. You're a finance guy. You come I'm from a, a background. Guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and most people are not. Um, and most people selling cars are not. So I think that that's one thing that... I knew something in, intuitively when watching your content that I was missing something. I'm like, there, there's something about this guy that I trust. This guy knows what he's talking about. He's not the same materialistic kind of guy, even though you have the materialistic stuff, you actually have an investment vehicle within them, which I think is something that I didn't even know was possible, right? I knew, okay, if you bought uh, a classic Maserati, Sure, you can, if you hold on to it for five years or something, you can make money. But I didn't know about the exotic car hack principle. How often, what's your average hold on an exotic car when you're doing a hack? About six to eight months. Now, realistically, the hacks are, are, are set up to be 12-month hacks. I, I do six to eight months because I get bored out of my mind. Like I get bored of a car in like three months, two weeks, you know? 
yeah. just got this latest McLaren. I drove it twice. I was like, cool, put it on a list. I don't want to see it again. And I'm like, people are like, well, that's my like dream car for like 10 years. And I'm like, yeah, I could care less. Like whatever. You yeah. once the problem is once you get really good at this, the one thing that does hurt or or is not as exciting is you start to look at everything from this lens of money, right? And, and so you start to make better decisions for your own financial future. But at the same time, as an enthusiast, sometimes it does blur the lines and make it a little bit less exciting and tasty. You know, to, to get a car where you're like, ah, I can't wait to drive this because you're like, I already have all these other cars. What the hell do I care? Like, I don't really care. It's not any better. It's just the same. Yeah. Now, in terms of watches, um, what's the best flip for somebody that's getting started? So, for instance, I bought this Submariner at close to retail. Um, so how do people go and buy maybe their first Rolex and, and how do they do it the right way? So the, the problem with watches is that it's, it's a very, it's a powerful industry and, and it's built around what I call jeweler secrecy. So jewelers have been the best uh, individuals outside of banks to basically hide the principles of how they make money. And they're really good at it. Uh, and they're all in the same conspiracy together. So it's an interesting kind of like gig that they have going for the last like 100 plus years. Uh, it's just there is margins beyond people's expectations of things, you know, and there's ways that people buy things. And in today's market, a, a, a Rolex is more useful, costly used than it is new because it's very hard to get. Same with very high end watches like Audemars Piguet, uh, Patek, et cetera is not just black and white, like, hey, I'm just going to go, I want a paddock, I'm going to go in the store, there's one for 55 grand, I'm just going to buy it because I really like that color. Okay, get on an imaginary waiting list for three and a half years, we'll call you when the model is discontinued, and we can figure it out then. You're like, I'm sorry, what? You know, so yeah. then you never get your watch, so you go, well, where can I get one? Someone goes, I'll sell you one for 100. And you're like, 100 grand for a used one. Eventually, you start to realize that's how the industry works, and you just have to pay it if you want it. So if you want it, you'll pay it. If you don't want it, you won't pay it. Uh, the thing though, is that a lot of people, again, don't understand this concept. They don't understand the money. They just think if something is new, why should I buy it used? If I can buy it new at the store, the problem with the luxury segment is people don't understand that luxury, like when you curate luxuries and you try to buy stuff, when you're buying the stuff, everybody wants, there isn't enough of it. And, and that's, that's the big issue with with america is it doesn't realize that what they were used to for the last 20 years is over since COVID, this has been a completely changed playing field and there's two reasons for that poor people got a taste of money during COVID. they got not stimulus checks but they got ppe loans they they got the ability to uh like stop their mortgages you know like stop their student loans they freed up ten thousand a month that they didn't have available to them before so they got rich. And what I mean by rich is in their perspective, they had the capacity to be more consumers of the system than they were previously. And, you know, there's a good and bad thing, even from this idea of so many people made so much money in crypto doing nothing and then lost a ton of it, whatever, poor people stayed poor, rich people got rich or whatever. That doesn't even matter. What matters to me and why I thought crypto was probably the greatest financial experiment of all time. And I thought this was fantastic. Outside of the fact that all the idiots bought in and into a $10 million picture of a monkey and somehow lost everything to 10 cents, you know, whatever. That's that's beyond the point because people will always fall for the next get rich scheme. Quink, that's not rare. Why was that really good? It was because it gave a taste of mainstream America. It gave them a taste of what it's like to own a Lamborghini, 
go out to, to places they want to go out, you know, and spend money, take care of their families, buy stuff for, you know, their wives, take care of their kids, buy like a nice Rolex or something. And it opened that door to, to what I call the addiction of luxury, which is the power of status. And it opened that door to them because it allowed them a taste of it. And I've always been a big believer that if you want to be more than you are, you have to touch and taste and be around the things you want to be in, you know, like down the road, not go rent them, but participate in them. You know, if you have a friend that has a $2 million car and you can't afford one, be excited for him, you know, ask him if you could sit in it, touch it, feel it, understand it, because at some point it'll normalize it for you. And it's very important to do that because if you normalize luxuries, you tend to attain them faster. If you put them on a pedestal as this impossible thing, it doesn't become good to save 10 years in a conventional mindset to buy a car. It's stupid. Like 10 years of lifetime working so you can buy a car is just ignorant. But when you start to taste it and you lose it, even if you lost all your money and you're back to zero, you're not going to want to get back up there again. You're going to now want to know, ah, I remember that time when we went to that club and you know, I parked my Lambo up front. I walked in and they didn't care. And man, I want that again. I don't have that. I'm going to find new ways. Now, there's going to be some people that find it illegally or try to instant gratification, instant gratification it into a mode where they're going to go bankrupt. But there's other people that are going to be like, you know what? This was probably the most important thing that ever happened to me. And it's so awesome. And you know what? Even if I work 20 years, I'm going back there. You know, I had a similar experience when I was a kid and it literally defined everything I've built in my life today. You know, like it just gave me this like view into money that I was like, holy shit, you know, like I like I cannot live without this experience of my life anymore because someone just opened that door for me. And I was like, this is insane. Like, this is something that I'm sitting here poor, trying to make ends meet, working a job, drive a nice car, but like middle class dude. And this dude just defied all the laws and how things work and restaurant closing times and everything just of who he is. And I was like, that is power that came from money and respect. And as a child, I was like, holy shit, I need that in my life. Like, I want to grow up to be like that guy. And yeah. what's funny is now I've surpassed that guy and that guy uh, calls me his mentor. So like what I'm saying is like, it's just amazing how it, being exposed to wealth on an ongoing basis can normalize it and can remind you of what's possible in life. And if you welcome it, you'll do really well in life. And, and how much of that was you <clears throat> changing your mind on a subconscious level? It's everything. Listen, every human evolves on three key concepts, awareness, self-awareness, consciousness. These are, these are, this is the flow of every human life, regardless that its stage is 100 years, 50 years. It is its attempt at every time it takes a cycle through life to attempt to reach its highest level of consciousness where it merges its soul and its body. So, you know, I think that more than anything else, when you tap into the subconscious, it, most people will look at wealth, uh, money as a counteract of spirituality. They will say, well, th this is negative towards spirit. You know, being spiritual is about being free and money is a chain and everything else. This is why the majority of people are spiritual or broke. And the majority of the reason why they really have no means or ways of impacting others positively outside of trying to talk a few words on Instagram and thinking people are listening to their bullshit of abundance and shit, and yeah. they don't have anything. Right. It doesn't work for one reason, because society, which what people refer to as the matrix, 
The matrix is basically a shell of identity into the second circle, as I call it in three circle, third circle theory, the second circle of life, which is the very powerful one that enables you to go through self-awareness into consciousness is society. And society cannot be ran away from. It has to be overcome. It has to be mastered. And most people, most spiritual leaders, most people who don't understand that typically go, society's flawed, government's trash, they're doing this to us, they're keeping us chained, and they rebel against the system that is not a system of control, but a system of structure. And so because they can't decipher the two, they get trapped by this idea that they're being controlled and nobody likes it. Oh, you know, these guys are doing all this crap to us. They're, they're making this mandatory and not doing that. It's about politics, about this. And, you know, if we have these guys and they don't want taxes, they don't understand that this is part of the same game. Your identity in life, not in society, is formed. Your self-awareness comes from two cycles of identity, your societal identity and your cosmic identity. And until societal identity is mastered, cosmic identity cannot exist. So therefore, it does not matter what you think you are in the world or what great you know, soul or powerhouse you are. If you can't master the basics of survivorship within the sphere of where you exist, you will crumble. And you will be reminded time and time again why you do not matter. Because money is a common denominator of the playing field in society, not in life. And it is the curator of incredible, incredible spiritual experiences outside of society. But without it, you cannot. Like, you will not. Like, and, and the problem is most people that don't know how to make it typically rebel against it. And talk about how, you know, money is negative and it's the root of all evil and we can never be free as long as we live in a world where people measure people with money and not love and all that bullshit. But they don't understand that if you have a lot of money, you can spread a lot of love. If you have a lot of money, you can help in, in areas where they cannot because other people don't live in, in, a, in a world where we can throw spiritual love at people and cure them or, you know, like, or, or help them get fed. It's like, I love you as a brother, but you're like, but I'm still hungry. Like, it's not yeah. Hungry. <laughs> Dude, you know, I, I've, I've, it's so funny because I used to be, man, addicted to the whole law of attraction thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it's true, but when you look at most of the law of attraction coaches, most of them are broke. Well, they are broke. And, and this is actually why one of the things I, I talk about in my last book, Gator Choice, is my final, what I consider to be my final masterpiece, the trilogy of how human consciousness evolves. It's those guys that are trapped. And when you say they're broke and they're law of attraction people, they first off, they don't understand what the law of attraction is. They don't understand how it works. The law of attraction is a byproduct of what I call alchemy. Alchemy is something that most people won't even tap into until they've mastered self-awareness into and away from cosmic identity. So it's a very late in the game concept. So the guys that are like, you know, I was taught by a coach how to be a success coach for the law of attraction. Listen, you have no shot, like take a new career right now, like, and just carry on, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. You will never breach the next level of your life and you will never get rich doing that. So like, just move on. Uh, and, and the other part that people have to understand in Gator Choice, I break down for people like, how the human evolves into these things and they don't, they're not going to learn it by reading a book and they're not going to learn it by just saying, I know what it is and I'm just going to close my eyes and manifest it and, and it'll just show up. That's not how that works. 
So, you know, there is a, in the spiritual industry, there is one side of it, which is a very strong opportunity where there is a monetary and business cycle of it, right? Like there's a business element to selling books and selling, you know, coaching and, and people. And, and what happens and the reason that happens, because people that read these books are reading them way too early. Like someone who has no even path to self-awareness is reading a book about the greatest heights of human consciousness. They are not going to understand anything, you know, and, and therefore they feel so lost and they're st stuck at such a basic level that an opportunity comes in. And listen, you can't blame them. This is business for many people. They see this opportunity to help those bottom people with a much more basic approach. And no, you don't need a person like me to help a guy get a job and learn how to present himself and, and survive in society. Yeah. There, there's 500 people out there I can train to be like, tell that guy this and, and it'll help him. And it's fine. Right. And a more advanced guy probably wouldn't hire that person anymore. Right. They look yeah. at him and they're like, you haven't done any of the things I've done. Why the hell would I talk to you about anything? Right. Yeah. And they would need a more advanced, like direct approach with Tony Robbins, but then they would pay for that. Right. Like they would be like, Hey, to be in the same room is 30 grand. Well, listen, I make $2 million a month. I don't give a shit. Like, get the guy on the phone. You know, like, I want to go to his house. Oh, what did that guy pay me? He paid me 50 grand just to show up. Okay, well, you know, he's not crazy. He's going to have tea with you. And maybe you agree. Maybe you're friends. Maybe you're not. You know, and that's it. Like, we, we, you have that value system where you're like, yeah, I've proven my value in society. I'm coming here with a more basic question. You know, and I have guys that pay me a ton of money. And then for like an hour of coaching, and then they come true. And I'm like, yeah, what can I do for you? And they're like, I just have one question. I'm like, okay. So I give them the question. They're like, okay, I'm unlocked. Have a good day. And I'm like, okay, so you already understood. You already studied. You've already gone through my books. You understand the model. You were just unclear about something. You right. came in with an agenda and the agenda wasn't to waste my time for an hour. Oh, I love your books. I love this. I'm, I'm just a fan. It was like more about like, hey, I understand the work you do. And, and I have a very specific reason why I need to talk to you that someone can answer what you've written. So I want to understand if I'm, so I understood this clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, again, thinking bigger, right? Because nobody could, most people, I don't want to say nobody, most people cannot imagine spending 10000 or even $1,000 on just getting in a room with somebody. I invest a lot of money into coaching. I invest a lot of money into relationships, right? And I think that that is the best money I've ever spent. But what people don't realize and what you just said is most of it most of that information is out there for free or for 50 bucks exactly. or for a couple and hundred can. bucks. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's the big mistake people make. Because look, people come to me and they go, coach me on car hacking. I go, great. Did you take my course? No. Right. no I'm like, okay, well, coaching is $5,000 an hour because you're an idiot and you didn't take my course. Now, if you say, listen, I've taken all of your courses. I've gone through everything. I've studied the material. I have a question. It's a free phone call. Call me. I'll answer that question. Like, that's fine. You've taken effort. You need to get clarity. No problem. Oh, I just, I'm a hands-on learner. I want the system to adapt to me. I don't want to adapt to the system. It's about what makes me comfortable. Okay. Well, you can pay me $5,000 an hour. It'll take seven hours. That's worth my time for me to spend $40,000 for six hours of my time with you. So yep. I don't have to do something else in the six hours. Why would you want to do that when you can take the course? Yep. Because then it would allow you to maybe pay for one hour of my time to clarify what you're confused about. But the point is that individuals are seeking attention and they want basically, they, they want to be validated in the world. And this is where the issues come in. They believe that the world revolves around their sphere. 
They, they don't understand that consciousness is not a team sport. It's a single individual sport and single opportunity. They've been brainwashed by how consciousness has been made into memes on Instagram and has been made into these life lessons that are taught on one slide. Surround yourself with the five best people. You know, well, where, where's a broke person going to find the five best people? You know, <laughs> There's no value for them, right? Like, what, what are they going to do? Where are they going to find them? Like, it, you know, we've simplified consciousness to a degree where it's lost its meaning and most people wouldn't even understand what consciousness even means, you know? So it, there is so much that I can tell you about life that people are at such various stages of their lives and they refuse to do the work because the work takes time and, and they want the end result thinking there's a shortcut to the work. There, there is a roadmap to the work and there's an opportunity to not go through trial and error. That's out there. That's been out there before my existence. That's been out there. You know, I've re reinforced some of the more modern societal culture values that align to that. But the majority of the work, uh, if you study a lot of philosopher work from back in the day, like Nietzsche, Carl Jung, a lot of these guys, they, they have very good framework that needed updating, but it has very good framework that even if someone is highly confused, they can get for free all over the internet, read and, and kind of adopt and learn and, and heighten their value system. But it, it takes effort. And, and, and the problem is most people don't have money. So their effort goes towards making money. And yet they reject money. It's so like, I never understood that, that paradox. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, I want to make money, but like all, all money is evil, you know? And it's like, but if you have yeah. money, you wouldn't say money is evil because yeah. it's like useful for you, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that money, what I've realized, and I'm nowhere near your level yet, but what I've realized is money just expands what you are. So oh. if you're a miserable piece of shit and you get money, you're going to be a bigger, miserable piece of shit. Do you agree? Money buys time. That's all money does. Money is a tool that buys time. Instinctively, every invention in the world that has ever been created that has stuck with humans, you can try to debate me on this. Actually, no one has ever found a way to fight me against this, but Every invention that has ever been invented that has stuck around has enabled humans to do something faster. So that is the, if you want a key to how to build an invention that the world adopts that makes you a billionaire, simply come up with an invention that saves people time and is being used on a daily basis. Like if you can do those two things, you'll be a billionaire. I don't care what era we live in or anything else because time is the only paradox that men cannot escape from. That is the only prison that we face. It is the only prison we have no key to. There's nothing we can do about it. We will die. There's no way around it. We will not survive. Our bodies will not survive. So time is basically what our body is to our soul. It, you know, it basically dies off and there's nothing we can do about it. Now, to reiterate your question, when you talk about does money enhance your character basically for whatever it is, it does, and it gives you more accessibility to spread that character around you to other people. So yes, it's true that if you are an asshole, you're going to be perceived as an even bigger asshole when you have more money because you have a louder voice and you can afford a louder microphone, <laughs> right? Like, and you can afford a larger office and you can employ more people and you can do things around where more people will notice, right? Like, like people aren't asking a guy that drives a Honda Civic anything about his life to hear if he's an asshole or not. 
but they're asking the guy with the Bugatti, what do you do for a living? And then judge that person based on how they respond. Oh, you know, this guy's an asshole. He's not talking to me or he thinks he's better than me. Doesn't matter. The guy with the Civic's not even getting a microphone, right? He has no money to have a microphone. The guy with the Bugatti has three microphones. So right. it is going to amplify who he is because no one's paying attention to who the other person is. Realistically, I would say that every human being is an asshole deep inside and is also a really nice person as well. It just depends on what side of the character you reach and at what stage you talk to them or what day you talk to them or for what reason. Yeah. But we are more excited about judging others to please ourselves than to judge ourselves to uh, ensure we fit in with others. Incredible. Um, so PJ, where can people follow you? And again, I wanted to just circle back to the Black Friday sale that you guys are doing. Um, and just anything you want to let people know about that, please do. Yeah, I think the easiest way to follow me, because some people love me for cars, watches, others for some more of this business knowledge and kind of conversation about human consciousness. You can just go to learnfrompj.com. It's like a very simple site where a lot of this stuff is laid out. Everything, including my 90-day boot camp where I rewire your mind, not your physique. I don't have a perfect six-pack, so don't, <laughs> don't come to me for how do you look like Hercules, but I will make your mind a lot sharper uh, and your value system a lot stronger uh, through my 90-day bootcamp. And then, of course, if you want to learn about exotic car hacks and watch trading academy, you're also on there. You can sign up for our Black Friday sale. Everything's 80% off. On Black Friday, it's the only day of the year, not day, but month, basically, for the month of November, where we significantly discount all of these products to give the mass population an opportunity to elevate with no excuses. Most of our products are under $200 which means they can easily be put on a credit card and they pay for themselves 10 times over if someone applies the information and they pay for themselves within 30 days. So it's not like you're even going to get your credit card statement by the time you have to pay for it. So where you level up or not is in your hands, but you have no excuse why you never had an opportunity to or couldn't afford to go to a $50,000 college or something to you know, become successful in life. Amazing. So again, guys, that's learnwithpj.com. Learn from PJ. Learnfrompj.com. We're going to put it up in some text here. Uh, and there will be links uh, on YouTube and the show notes for the podcast and everything. PJ, I want to thank you so much for giving me your time. Uh, extremely valuable. Great podcast. Can you leave the audience with one more positive message before we go? Yes. I think the, the thing I'll leave you with is people always ask me this question and I'll make it very easy for you. It's if you had to start all over again, what would you do? Stop asking that question. Asking the right questions will matter. You're not the person in front of you. You don't have the same skills. You don't have the same things. I think the only question you need to answer instead of asking someone what they would do 20 years ago going back is rather this simple question. What are you willing to commit to for the next 20 years? Whatever that is, become the best at it. I guarantee you, you'll be a multimillionaire in no time. PJ, thank you so much. Thank you.